The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining the show today. I really appreciate you listening. I've got an amazing conversation for you today, so definitely stick around. Drug abuse, use, and addiction is a huge problem in this country. And chances are addiction has touched your life in one way or another. Being in the radio business for all the years that I have working at rock stations and whatnot, if you know anything about my background a little bit, you know, I did run with a crowd of hard partiers. You know, I worked at rock and roll radio stations. I saw addiction take down some really talented people. And a lot of times, you know, I was in the position of covering for people, you know, when they were drunk or high. Hey, do my show, cover me for a couple hours or something like that, driving people around when they couldn't drive. There was even an incident where we had to call 911 because someone passed out in the studio and had to be taken out on a stretcher. You know, that's a whole other story. But, you know, needless to say, it's touched me personally in a lot of ways and also with close friends going into rehab or needing to go into rehab. And I've often felt helpless in dealing with these people and seeing their pain, and it's heartbreaking, and it's a huge problem. Addiction has touched so many lives. For a long time, it's been AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, or Narcotics Anonymous, was the gold standard of treatment, and the 12 steps were the way to go, and that was it. And a lot of people have been helped by these programs, but a lot of people have also fallen through the cracks, and there's new research out now and new approaches to dealing with this problem, and we're going to talk about that today. The invitation to change approach is something new, and it's offering evidence-based skills to help help your loved ones make positive change. So my guest today to talk about this is Dr. Ken Carpenter. He is the Director of Training for the Center for Motivation and Change and a licensed clinical psychologist and research scientist. And his team has put together an amazing book and program called the Beyond Addiction Workbook for Family and Friends. And this helps people address substance abuse, as well as other compulsive behaviors in a really productive way. And I've been spending some time reading over this information, and I'm really interested to talk to you. So thank you, Ken, for sitting through my rambling intro, and welcome (laughs) to the podcast today. 
Oh, thanks for for having me, Diane. I I appreciate the time, space, and the support. So thank you. This is something that's so needed. I mean, if anybody looks at the stats on how drug abuse and addiction is affecting our lives, I mean, everyone's heard about the opioid and the fentanyl crisis that's tearing apart cities, families all, all across the country. 275 million people abuse drugs worldwide last year, and one in four families in the U.S., are impacted by substance abuse. I think everybody is impact, impacted, right, in one way or another by some degree of separation or another. And tell me a little bit about how your approach is addressing this differently than, like I had mentioned, the AA or NA approaches that were just the the standard for so many years. Right, Diane. Thank you. And and you know, as you note, the numbers are staggering, and certainly it's you don't have to go far to interact or know someone who's struggling with these issues and or loved ones who are trying to help someone who's uh, struggling with it. So it, it's really pervasive in, in a lot of ways and impacts so many lives. And, you know, it's interesting, as you're saying, that the ability to make change is often in the context of human relations um, and relationships. And from a treatment provider, it was always interesting for me. I, I came from the treatment world and you know, I started running into these numbers that, well, you know, only two out of 10 people who are in the throes of a substance use disorder actually reach out for help that are actually going to knock on my door as a professional. And it just started to paint like the number of people that are out there that are going to be trying to make these changes, uh, not in the context of a professional relationship, but in the context of their work colleagues, their families, their spouses, their loved ones. Uh, so, kind of raise the question is, well, what's being offered for all these people that are on the front line that, you know, see their loved ones struggling and want to be of help? Um, and I think historically, uh, loved ones, families have been viewed differently when it comes to substance use problems. And I, I think in a broad way, just been sidelined um, that you're not part of this. If you try to be part of this, if you try to be helpful, you're actually making it worse. Um, we have labels for that. Sometimes we hear codependency. Sometimes we hear enabling. All those words stem out of, of different talks, but often they're used to families to say, hey, look, you don't want to be like that. And we're, there's nothing you really can do, so you should sit on the sidelines. Um, and for some situations, perhaps that's helpful advice, you know, to give space. Um, for a lot of other families, they're like, yeah, but we love this person. They're struggling. This relationship's important. Um, we're just looking for a compass on how to go about this because there's not many compasses out there um, and that are useful. So that kind of stemmed where a lot of this work came from. And I have to be honest, my profession hasn't done a great job taking things off the bookshelf and bringing it out into the world. Um, so there are strategies and ideas that either get housed up in professional treatment books, um, but don't make it into the hands of families. So families are still hearing about things that have been first tested in the 90s, but it's still brand new. And I think um, it's like, well, how do, how do we help hand this over to the families um, and the loved ones and the spouses to help build the scaffolding around their family and their loved ones in a way that might be effective? And that led to you know all this work. Yeah, I want to get into that because I'm, I'm really interested in what I've seen over the past few years as um, an embrace of looking at different ways to tackle this problem. Like I'm, I get things showing up in my feed of 
you know, join the Sober Sisters Club, step down in moderation. Here's a group for women only, you know, if you want to participate in that. I mean, I think there's a little more openness to um, approaching this in a different way. And what do you think of some of these new programs? Because I know there's some controversy where there's a lot of pushback from the old guard mm-hmm. of, look, this is the way that it works. The 12 steps work. You know, why mess with that? But don't you think it's a positive thing that there's starting to be different options for people? Well, I'm a big believer in that, that uh, not one size fits all approach. And we are all unique. And there are many roads into using substances and many roads out of it. Um, And at least from when you look at how people go about changing, uh, people change in all kinds of ways and, and find different roads and and aspects of their journey supportive. So I think for some people, their lives were saved by going to AA. They found a community or they found someone who was really supportive to them, or they have a set of lenses to view their journey that was helpful to them. And it's the power of relationships often that are there. So if we can expand that, I think you're, you know, you're right. There are other invitations out there for people to try on their way of change. And, um, you know, why close doors when people are entertaining the idea of trying to make change? I think um, let's help them find their road that's going to be the most impactful way. Absolutely. And change and transi- transition is so hard for so many people because yeah. we'd, re- we'd prefer the devil we know, right? In- oh. Instead of looking elsewhere. So I like that your your book and your approach really addresses that. And one of the things I thought that was interesting in my reading was you encourage us to understand why the person is doing what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's tough. uh, Totally. I think it's probably one of the hardest things, particularly when you're sitting with someone who's struggling and you're scared, you're concerned. Um, There's anxiety or fear to your point. That understanding is, is, is really the challenge of bringing a curiosity to what you're seeing. Um, even when what you're seeing can be scary or upsetting. And I, I think that's such an important point that sometimes is lost. That first step, and even in the book, we'll talk about that, uh, that behaviors make sense. If we bring a curiosity to try to understand what is it about the activity that's been useful for a person, if we can have those conversations as a starting point, I'll get to see you and understand you in a different way that could perhaps help me become a better helper and get a better understanding of what this change process would entail. Um, We call it the writing reflex. Sometimes it's easy if we don't bring that curiosity, it's easy to just listen to our mind say, here's the problem. This is how you fix it. Um, But it takes out the curiosity to really try to understand the uniqueness about the situation for that person. Right. And it's not just that Oh, so-and-so is drinking too much. It's what is the real issue? What's underneath that? What are they pouring the alcohol and drugs over to cover or to cope or to deal with it? And isn't it trying to understand and get to that real issue? What What is the real problem? Spot on. I mean, I think to your point, someone, two people could be drinking at the same table, the same amount of drink, the same exact drink. Yet one person says, you know, I can become a little bit more talkative, um, so I feel more social. Um, And another person says, when I go home at night, I'll be able to sleep because those nightmares that I have um, stay quiet for a while. So it's the same behavior, but what's behind it? 
totally different. It's serving a different purpose. And if both people would require a different path, probably um, in making change, there would be different asks of them to engage in that change process. And there was an interesting uh, sentence in the book I wanted to ask you about. You're talking about cognitive, behavioral, and motivational approaches, which treat substance abuse like any other human behavior. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And then you said that functional approaches aimed to challenge a person's denial, in quotes, about his disease, in quotes. And then that kind of flies in the face of people that are really adamant about this is a disease. And I just wanted to ask you about that. Do you, do you feel that it's a, a quote disease or that it's, you know, problems based on these, these other things that you're looking at in the cognitive behavioral approach. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Yeah, there is so much tug of war around that term disease, and it really can be quite a spirited uh, conversation depending on on the circumstances. Um, I approach the word with caution. I have a background in behavioral science. I would never say that we are not biological beings. Anything we do affects our biology, and substances affect our biology. So to that extent... Um, someone who is very much involved in substance use is, is altering brain chemistry in a way that's going to impact, uh, their behavior and change and motivation at times. Um, yet that's not the only place where we have to say to understand the change process. So when I'm speaking with an individual or trying to understand, um, I'm not talking to the dopamine receptors, per se, um, but to a whole human being with a history and subjective experiences. So um, to come back, is it a disease? I I think it's a a multifaceted um, experience, and it involves understanding at different levels, each level that can be helpful. So you notice I'm kind of sidestepping a little bit the word on that, because I think people use that word differently. And I always want to understand, well, when you say disease, what what does that mean to you? How are you using it? Um, If you're, I tend to use it as it's a behavioral and biological um, component and uh, challenge. Um, and, and life is biological and behavioral. So that's interesting. No, thanks for answering that. Cause I've, there's the camp that says, well, people that say it's a disease, then they're just playing that they're a victim and they're not in control. They're not able to control what they're doing. And I, I think people are able to control it, right. Given the right help and support, they, they could. There's decision-making throughout the whole process. And I think you hit the nail on the head, which is given the right circumstances, um, that dictates the kind of decisions that come more readily to us. So I know me and you were sitting out in the desert and we gave up drinking water. If we were out there for about 12 hours in the blazing hot sun, our mind and our 
experiences are going to have us feel about that cup of water in front of us that are much different than if we were sitting um, up north in 35 degree temperatures. It's the same water, but to your point, the motivation and the impact of our decisions can vary and they vary based on circumstance and situation. And I, I think, it's right. so there is that element of decision-making and awareness. What impacts my decision-making? So that I think is the hopeful part, which is I can start to understand what the challenges are and when I'm more likely to think one way over another. And that awareness helps me make different decisions. And bringing the family in and, and friends and making them a part of it when before you had mentioned like the tough love situation and, mm-hmm. you know, you're supposed to turn your back. And also from the participants approach, they're supposed to cut everybody out of their life that it contributed to their their drinking or using or anything like that. So there, there's a lot of turning your back, right? Cut, cutting people out and that kind of thing. And, and I'm going to throw like throw my own personal experience in here. Since I have you here, I can ask you this. You know, I have a, a longtime friend that I love, like a sister who's abused alcohol since we were in high school to, to varying degrees. She func- she functions and has a job and everything else, but she isolates herself. And, you know, inevitably I'll get those phone calls. Like she's on the East Coast in my home state of Florida, I'm here in California. So I know at a certain time not to answer the phone because I'll get this drunk phone call. And I don't, I don't want her to feel alone that I'm avoiding her, but I can't always sit through these hour long, you know, rambling phone calls. I know she's in pain. And, and when you talk about varying degrees, like this is someone that I think she functions, but I think her, there's this veil, this dullness over her life that's caused by her, her alcohol abuse. I don't think she's really living and I want to try to help her. Like I wanted to send her books and things like that. And I try not to be judgmental, but I know inevitably, you know, there's been a few DUIs sooner or later, something's going to happen. So in my approach with her, without trying to be judgmental and, and accusatory and things like that, cause that hasn't worked over the years. How do you, how do you talk to people like that? Yeah, well, I, I love the highlighting. If, to your point, look, if judgment and forcefulness and um, other more directive approaches yielded the outcomes we love, I would be here talking to you about how to be forceful and judging and all that in the sense that, hey, this is this is what works. And to your earlier point about motivation, what's been interesting is we know what can invite people towards thinking about making change versus interactions that can actually have people defend the very behavior they may actually question at times. Um, so the motivational interaction point is right. Do Can we try to sidestep from the judgment forcefulness, but how can we approach these interactions? And the couple of things that you just highlighted there if I put a spotlight on it, um, as a helper, um, you have intentional responding. So that first thing is, what am I comfortable supporting here? What are the kind of behaviors I'd like to strengthen and help um, sh- help that person nourish? What are some of the behaviors maybe that I'm not willing to go along with? And how do I want to respond to them if I do see them? So to your point, maybe the long phone calls where the person's in an intoxicated state hasn't been helpful in the past. And you're 
as a helper, you have your right to say, I don't know if I want to sit through two hours of those conversations. So I may let the person know, I love talking with you. Want to hear what you have to say. Um, but I'm going to step out of this conversation now. Um, it seems like you're not fully present. Or it seems like right now you're under the influence. But can we schedule tomorrow? Would that be a better time? And we can step out of that. So that, in terms, you'll hear people talk about boundaries or limit setting. And what we like to say with helpers is knowing what you value, how you want to be with the person, and being intentional about it is can be helpful. Um, so that's, that's, I'm just putting out as one, one way, uh, or invites to talk at times, you know, the person may be more present in a way that would be helpful. So that conversation that night, you might step out of the next morning could be a text or a ring. Love to catch up from where we started last night. When would you be free? We're still keeping connection there. And that's not turning your back per se, as far as I'll talk to you when you get your act together, um, which is sometimes a different approach. But um, I can be intentional about when we have our talks and when I'll be present for you. And I'll let you know that so that you have a compass on how you can find me and we can talk. Um, so that that's kind of one, I, one idea. Um, and listening, that, that's the other thing often conversations, checking in with the person, what's going on? What are your thoughts? Or last night seemed really tough. What was going on for you? And giving people space to talk. Um, and we kind of way of keeping our writing reflex in the back and trying to see where the person is at, which can also be a way of changing the tone of interactions a little bit. Well, I, tr I tried that approach. Uh -huh. I mean, I've tried that a, a couple of times. Um, I'm, I'm going to take your advice. Like what was interesting in this recent situation where my, my good friend was hammered and I said, well, let's, let's talk another time. You know, let me call you tomorrow. She was telling me this big, long drawn out problem. So when I called her the next day, knowing she'd be sober, I said, so do you want to talk about this problem? What problem? Everything's yeah. fine. Not really. I heard last night it wasn't really fine. So what was really happening? And I was like pulling teeth, like trying to get the real issue out. And, and she finally like confessed a little bit. Um, I mean, it, it's just been going on for so many years and maybe I am enabling in some degree. I'm, I'm sure I am in some way, but I just know that if I could help her to realize that she could change, she could go from black and white to like Technicolor Oz, you know, the yeah. life could be so much better than it yeah, is right now. And, and you see a life for her. You see a part of the way she can be in the world that maybe she doesn't see or have access to in that moment. And if it's okay to repurpose the enabling word, if you bear with me on that, because I think there's some, there's some utility in it. And the way, if it's okay, the way I would kind of frame that is I, I am an enabler in so many different ways. And I want, as you said, you want to enable her to be able to connect with a meaningful life. And there's nothing in that purpose of my aspirations for you, the way I would like to support you. I want to help you and enable you to step in that direction. Maybe there are things I need to think about to not inadvertently help you step in a direction I don't want to support. So it's a nuanced word, and I hear your approach. You have a particular direction you want to help her see. And um, the, the, the first step as you're doing is first 
how can I use my relationship to help that process happen? Um, even when it's not linear <laughs> and there's all these ups and downs and back and forth. And to your point, sometimes changes is, is very nonlinear and there's a lot of stops and starts and it can take a long time for people. Um, your, your invitations that are consistent with your value sometimes seem like really small drops in the bucket, but they plant seeds that sometimes catch the momentum or catch change in a way that wouldn't be there if they weren't planted. And that's sometimes the way we think about is you're building a context that is starting to shift the possibility of change. Well, that makes me feel better because I want to still have compassion. And you write in the book that compassion is something that is missing from some other approaches and, and something that we really need to take a look at is to have compassion. And even in people that aren't close family members, like I try to have compassion. And I mean, here in Southern California, there's open drug use. Like you see it in my neighborhood, you know, homelessness issues. And I think drug, you know, drug use is a huge part of that. But we should have more compassion, shouldn't we, in, in our dealing with this issue? Yeah, we should. And as you highlight, man, part of the tough lifting of being human is always being able to connect with that. Um, because, you know, life is challenging. Relationships are challenging. Um, things happen that could impact us emotionally, touch on us in different ways. And, and to your point, you know, the challenge is how do I find a compassionate stance in here? Um, both for myself as a helper, um, and also in the context of, of, of the relationship. And that, that's something I'll bring back, which kind of is, is permission to be present in a relationship the way you want to be present. And that's part of some of the ideas that we talk about, particularly when it comes to families or, or any caring relationship, where sometimes the narrative is you have to do X, Y, and Z. But to the person hearing that, X, Y, and Z is actually the very things that pull them furthest away from the kind of person they want to be in this relationship. Um, so there's room for being able to connect with, how do you want that person to see you in these real difficult times? How do you want to step into the moment? What resonates with you as a helper um, to be here the way you want to be here. Let's help define that. That's another approach sometimes we'll work with family members, which is, you know, you've tried the yelling, you've tried the tough love, you've cut the person off, you've stayed up many, many nights with your eyes open, feeling guilty about the way you're responding. And you have, but if we step back and say, here, you do have a choice. What resonates with your heart of hearts about the way you want to be seen? in these moments. And can we start there? Can we say what strategies and ways of responding would be consistent with that version of you? Um, so you can be present the way you want. And sometimes that's left out of the narrative. Sometimes people feel like I have to be not myself in order to be helpful. Right, right. No, I like that explanation. I'm just curious. I mean, you're, I can tell you're very compassionate and, and you really care about this work. And I know a lot of people that do come into this line of work have had addiction problems or experiences in the past. Was that the case with you or were you just interested in helping people? I came into psychology just wanting to understand what it's like to be human. That would pique my interest because 
you know, just journeying in life, you're like, wow, this can be really hard sometimes. Uh, my mind isn't my ally, my ally here. Why am I feeling this way? And I was just like, that's such a big thing of bandwidth. How do you even begin to try to understand your experiences? So that's what piqued my interest in psychology. Um, in substance use, uh, varied things. It's touched my family. It's touched my circle of friends. Um, and I kind of, and it's, I, I don't want it to sound wrong. There was a sense of always wanting to work with underdogs. <laughs> and when I was learning, I wound up working in substance use treatment clinics um, and getting to know the people that were coming there for help and getting to know them differently than the way they've been known. And it was just, it brought to light some of the challenges of just being human in so many common ways um, that that's where I've been. And I would say later on in the game, in a sense of helping, um, is working with families. Um, because starting in the treatment end, you work with people struggling. But the whole family often was left on the sidelines. And when you hear how families want to be helpful, and once you realize what is that families make a difference, relationships make a difference. And yet, as you you pointed, so much of the old narrative was the thing you have to get rid of is get rid of your relationships. <laughs> and it, it seemed like odd advice, which is as humans, we're relational beings. And yet, no one would say with cancer, don't talk to people that are supportive to you, cut off talking to your loved one. Yet, when it came to substance use and some of the struggles there, that was the advice. And it was just very interesting. I always was like, why? And does the evidence support that? And um, that kind of led to the work we've been doing with families as well. That's interesting, because I guess people assume that someone in that field would come directly out of having a personal experience with addiction, like you were an addict yourself. Right. No, I wouldn't say I, I ever... And that, that takes different forms. Have I been abstinent my whole life? No, certainly not. Um, and, you know, you, you experience what both the upsides and downsides are of, of substance use and how it can be useful in certain ways and where it can, can jam you up on certain ways. So, um, you know, I, I think in, in those domains, there's experiences to pull on, yet I, I want to be careful because I know even that um, – the person I'm sitting across from and listening is, is their experience could be totally, totally unique to them. So. Right. Right. Everybody's had mm -hmm. a, a different experience or, or a different point of view. And when I look back on my own life experience, where there's so many different directions that I, I could have gone in myself and then something stopped me from falling over the precipice of, you know, totally going headlong in, into addiction. And, and I've wondered why I've been able to, not go down those paths when other people that I, I worked with really talented, wonderful people and good friends that I'm, I'm still friends with were not able to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's really, yeah, a, a really interesting question. And I think it gets at the heart of these individual differences, which, you know, Every person carries their history book, their biology, their learning history in ways that coalesce and influence that particular journey. And, and to your point, you know, two people can experiment with the same thing 
and yet for one person, it could be a totally different outcome than the other, you know, and, and, um, that's the, I, I think an important part to see the uniqueness of each individual. Right. That's why I like this approach so much. And what I've read of the invitation to change approach and, and what you're doing with the book and the workbook, the beyond addiction work that you're doing here. And I wanted to just wrap up with, you know, getting your advice on, you know, one, one thing you could tell people that are listening who chances are, there's probably a good chance that they have someone in their life that's struggling with addiction in some degree, what would you say? Even if it's something long-term, years and years have gone by, it's possible to change, isn't it? Yeah, I think that you raised that issue of hope. And I know this journey can at times just feel so dark and lonely and hopeless at times. Um, and often it's it's that isolating effect that families and, and loved ones, or that we all can feel when we we're feeling that we're not as effective as the way we'd like to be or what we're trying is not working. And and I think that kind of multi-pronged message is one for families that there is hope. Um, people do change. And sometimes it, the timelines can be so different. Um, but change is more likely to happen in the context of supportive relationships. And that doesn't mean you have to mortgage off your values you do get a choice about stepping into a helping relationship that can resonate with the way you want to be present for this. And you can get support to help think about the best ways to do that, um, that nourish yourself as a helper, as a human being, um, and learn just a set of compass, communication, behavioral, self-care strategies that can make this journey um, more more helpful, both to the you and your loved one as they consider their struggles and what direction they're going to go in. Um, and I, I like that message of, of, of hopefulness um, and stepping towards help. I, I do want to put it out because there's probably a lot of people that may be doing this all by themselves for many, many years and haven't told a soul about what uh, the burden has been. Um, and that if you have the courage, if you can take that risk to finding something that in a situation that can support you. Um, that's, that's very helpful as well. I'm so glad you're out in the world doing this because life is hard and, and we need people like you and, and we need this help and, and this message and especially at this time. So how can people find you and get the book, get the workbook, get some help? What's the best place I could send them to, to get in touch with you? Well, the, Probably best umbrella is uh, our not-for-profit, but it's uh, cmcffc.org. Uh, it's uh, Center for Motivation and Change, uh, the Foundation for Change. Um, there's tons of resources there and ways of guiding. So for people that want to take that risk of, you know, I, I may look to see if I can get support and I maybe take that risk of sharing my story. Um, we already have a lot of resources around that um, in terms of, of ways to go about doing that. The book, the workbook is kind of a do it at your home way of just thinking of getting a compass of how can I journey through this? What would be some ideas that I can think about that might change the way I'm interacting with my loved one? So that's uh, 
can be found on Amazon, the workbook for friends and families in New Harbinger. Um, but there's also parts of that on the, uh, the website as well that are readily accessible. Um, and, um, you know, encourage some self-compassion. Um, no one's born an expert in any of this. And I even tell people as a psychologist, I could look through all this schooling supposedly I went through, but I always say no amount of education has educated me out of the human condition. <laughs> so it's about learning, about thinking about ideas, finding what resonates with your value system and practicing it. And often sitting with yourself as compassionately as you would when you're sitting with someone else struggling, because sometimes we have a hard time sitting with ourselves in the same supportive way then we would readily offer up sitting with someone else. Um, and that takes practice as well. So, um, you know, those, those kind of ideas of, of sticking with it and looking at it as an ongoing process. Well, I will have the links in the podcast notes uh, for the book and how to get in touch with you. And also, if you like the podcast and the conversations, like, follow, subscribe, listen, uh, wherever you get your podcast. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for joining me today, Ken. You're doing important work. Oh, Diane, thank you so much for giving us the platform and helping us get our voice out there. For all of what, and, and for all you do, thank you. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.